We're going to be looking at um, one of the most convicting, I think, passages in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, which specifically talks about how we use our words as believers and the power of our tongues as humans. And so if you want to turn there right now, the words will also be on the screen. We're going to read James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And it says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouth of horses and make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it itself is unset on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise the Lord our Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praising and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a, big tree, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. That's been a convicting passage to be studying over this last few weeks as I've been prepping for this. And so before diving into this a little bit deeper, um, some context to this passage I think is going to be helpful to understand is who is James writing this to? So scholars date this letter back to somewhere between A.D. 33-34, but the more key detail is that it was written after the church had been scattered from the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. And so James wrote this letter to the believers who had been scattered all over the ancient world who, had, who are following Jesus, many of whom they were being persecuted for their faith as they continued to preach his word throughout the ancient known world back then. And so this letter was meant to be an encouragement and kind of like a challenge and a spur on to the believers to continue in their good deeds towards others. Um, and, he turns, and he turns to this challenging and maybe even more convicting section now in chapter 3 about how we use our words. So he started with deeds and now we're looking at our words in that as well. Because the way we speak with each other about God towards non-believers um, is really important. James's desire in writing, this le- in, in writing this letter is that all aspects of our lives as followers of Jesus would be conformed to the image of Christ. So that also includes the way that we speak. And so our tongues and our language is a good gift from God, as James is showing us. But they are also capable of massive evil and immense destruction. And so there's four different ways that James shows us this in this passage. Um, and so I'm going to go through all four of those ways, not necessarily in the order that they appear in the passage. <clears throat> and so first, the first thing that, that James shows us is that our tongues are incredibly powerful in their effect on our lives and the lives of others. So James uses two different metaphors to show us this, likening our tongues to the bits for horses and the rudder of a ship. So the first one, like when he says a bit for a horse, if that's not something you're familiar with. So the average horse, did some Googling this week, because um, I wanted to know, is anywhere from 900 to 1,200 pounds. Um, they're about five or six feet tall. And if you look at like some of the biggest horses out there, Clydesdales, they can be anywhere from 1,700 to 2,200 pounds. 
That's a one-ton creature right there. That's a big animal, very powerful. And so um, what about the bit? How big is the bit? The bit is the part that goes inside of their mouth that when you ride them or when you're leading them on, it actually steers their head and controls the horse and allows you to tell the horse where I want you to go. And so for a normal-sized horse, a bit is only five or six inches long. In the Clydesdale, sometimes you could maybe get up to a seven-inch piece of metal. And so when we think about that, a one-ton animal being controlled by a me, 150-pound human with a seven-inch piece of metal, a very small thing in proportion controlling a very large creature. Or if we look at a ship, I think that's a really easy for, on, on for us to see. Have you, ever, have, you, have you ever been down to the bridge and watched one of the thousand-footers uh, come in on Lake Superior? James uses the, the metaphor of a ship and a rudder. So keep in mind, like a thousand-footer like the Misabi Miner can carry 60,000 tons of iron ore. And the ship itself weighs 1,500 tons dry without iron in it. And that ship is powered, this makes my engineering brain very happy, it's powered by two engines producing more than 16,000 horsepower, which is a lot more than your dad's old Firebird. A lot more. And so if you look at a picture of a ship or you look at the immense size of the Misabi Miner as it comes in under the bridge, like if it was going to crash into that lighthouse, it would take it out in no time at all. You look at that, you think, okay, it's, it's got to have a really big steering wheel, a really big rudder to steer that ship. Well, fun fact, most ships are designed in a way that barely 2% of the entire ship's surface area that touches the water is the rudders themselves. 2% of an entire 1,000-foot vessel controls its entire direction of where that ship ends up going. That's incredibly powerful according to its size. So just like rudders and bits, our tongues and our words have, their, have, their cap- have the capability to steer our lives well beyond the proportion size. And so verse 5 um, is when James says, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. The way we speak and what we say absolutely can steer the directions of our lives. We'd be foolish to think otherwise. You know, not that we're undermining the work of God by what we say, but we often, like, the, when we verbalize the decisions that we make, whether good or bad, the comments, the conversations we have with others, they have consequences, whether good or bad. And those consequences will always dictate how our relationships form and what we get to participate in or what we have to miss out on. And so oftentimes, too, we can also use our words to build ourselves up in order to get our way and navigate through situations. Like, you know, we can be prone to, we, we love to show people how much we think we know, um, we, we're tempted to twist stories to make ourselves the hero when we're recounting details. Um, we can take credit for things that we didn't accomplish. We can put people down. We can circumnavigate situations with our words. So this very small part of our body inside of our mouth has a vast amount of power for us. So how we choose to use our tongue and to use our words and our language absolutely matters. And so that leads then to the second thing that's all, and they're all related and aligned together. So because of our sinful nature, though, rather than using our tongues for good, our tongues are destructive. We're very good at using our tongues as a weapon, as James points out here. Verse 5 and 6, he says, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body sets the whole course of one's life on, on fire and itself is set on fire by hell. 
I'm starting to see why Dean maybe uh, gave the young guy this sermon to preach this morning. He gets the good ones and gives the young guy the hard one, right? One small word or one small phrase muttered that with, with a little less care can often can set an immense chain of events. Like, just think about how one forest fire can start with just one spark. With just one stray spark, you can light up the entire boundary waters as we've seen in the last couple years. One commentator I read put it this way, within all of our mouths lies the potential for any number of world-changing horrors. And while m- most of us in this room are probably never going to be at a level that will, can, that will change the entire world itself, but if we think about it this way, our, our words can change somebody else's entire world. The things that we say or the things that we choose not to say in given moments are not insignificant. They always mean something. And small sparks are constantly firing out of our mouths every single day. A bit of innuendo at work, harsh words to our parents, our spouses, or our children, sniping at someone's character to take them down and make ourselves look better, carrying on some juicy gossip behind the scenes, a little extra exaggeration in a story, or maybe leaving out key details and recounting some, uh, an event. And those, a lot of, in a lot of ways, those may seem like not a big deal because we get away with it in the moment with minimal consequences, but that moment when they find the right pile of tinder, and I think we can all remember moments like this in our lives, that moment when that sparked, that one thing you said that you thought wasn't a big deal, if it fires, finds the right pile, a wildfire breaks loose. Toppled careers, ruined marriages, severed ties with kids, deep friendships and shambles, decades of self-loathing to either to ourselves or cause to somebody else, businesses falling apart, church splits, societal unrest and wars, all can come from the sparks that fly from our mouths. And yes, a lot of those are, might be extreme examples. However, we are fooling ourselves if we think that we're immune to those kinds of things. Your marriage may not be in danger of falling apart today, but a, last thing, but a nasty little comment to your spouse this afternoon can sting for quite a while if it's not dealt with. Um, a bit of impatience with your employees at work can begin a slow spiral to a, a shifting culture that causes people, your, your business, to be a revolving door. Some fires are bigger than others, but if we don't keep our words in check, they will permeate and ruin everything around us. It's an inevitable part of life. There's a reason that when you look at the book of Proverbs itself, that there's entire sections dedicated to the use and misuse of our words. i got just a couple of examples here. Proverbs 15.4 the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 10:18, whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. Proverbs 12:18, the words of a reckless, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And so all throughout scriptures, through the Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus talks about this too. Um, our words matter, and the way that we use them matters. If we use them for evil. It is incredibly destructive. If you use them for good, it brings healing and hope to people. And so I think at this point, a lot of us are probably thinking about how we really need to be more careful with the way we speak, and we're right for thinking that. Like, even just this week, I've been catching myself so many times not using my words wisely. We were just in the middle of a really big lung shutdown, a big maintenance outage where I work. And just on, I think it was Monday night, I smashed my finger in a valve. And I uttered some words that I really shouldn't have said in that moment, and I was like, well, geez, I'm preaching on this this weekend. Why am I, I mean, I, I just said that and I'm preaching on it this weekend or participating in gossip just this week and sniping at somebody's character. Like, I'm guilty of those things. You're guilty of those things. We do it all the time and we, it's just, um, 
I've spent a lot of time reflecting on how I speak, and even though as I've been doing that, I still find myself letting things slip that should have no business coming out of my mouth as a follower of Jesus. Multiple times a day, before I even knew what happened, things were said, and I've been catching myself in those moments because I've had the, the luxury of reading this and thinking on this for the last month or so, like, I say something and go, wow, I need to really think a lot more carefully about how I want to use my words. I need to take a step back and rethink about how, what, how I want to approach these conversations. And so kind of with that, too, what I'm trying to set up here is, is kind of the next point that James lead in, leads into is, like, I feel like I'm out, it's out of control. And as James says here, that's actually the truth. Our tongues feel uncontrollable, um, and you might feel out of control in this moment because when we start thinking about how we speak, because they are uncontrollable according to what James says here in the scriptures. Verses 7 and 8 is what he says. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Our tongues are hard to tame. God gave us as men and humans the ability to tame animals. We've been seeing this throughout, the script, or throughout history and we are incredibly good at it. Um, we've taught elephants to paint. We can teach bears to give us hugs. Uh, we let horses, horses let us climb on, our back, on their backs. Um, we've taught dogs to hunt for us. Um, we can teach dolphins and seals to put on shows and jump through hoops and bounce balls off their noses. We've taught lizards to lounge in our living room. Um, that one's a little bit weird. Um, in case you're wondering, cats don't count because they trained us to take care of them. Um, so just thought I'd throw that out there. But in, all, in, in, in so many different ways in this world, we've tamed animals to either be our pets or to do work for us. And yet, all that success over the thousands of generations, many of, them, many of these wild beasts, very capable of causing harm and have done to people, and yet, all that success, and we have never been able to come close to that kind of control over our own bodies and our own tongues. And you'll never be able to control your tongue yourself under your own power. Why is that? And that leads into the fourth thing that James is showing us is because the reason we can't control our tongues and the reason they're so destructive is because our tongues are revealing of our condition as, as humans. So what do I mean by that? The way that we use our words, the way that we speak, the way that we show other people what we're, what's going on is a window into our very heart, into our very soul. Our words externally show what's going on internally inside of us. In newsflash, our hearts are evil. It says so in Genesis 3, our hearts are full of sin, and that is what they produce. Evil hearts produce evil actions. So even when we're a follower of Jesus, we're still living in that world of like, yes, I've been saved from my sin, but I am still, my heart is still at its core bent away from God. James says it's like this in verse 11 and 12. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And so what James is saying here, one, one, a, a source of fresh water will never be able to produce salt water. Or a, or a, a, a tomato plant's never going to produce a grape. In the same way, our evil hearts on their own and left to their own volition will never produce anything good. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 15, 11, What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. And so the same mouths that we're using right now, my same mouth that I'm using to preach the good news of Jesus, 
this morning and the, mouth, the words that we're using to praise and worship God will turn around this very day and we will curse our neighbor, we will insult a friend, we will lead somebody astray, we will tell a lie, we will let vulgar language come out of our mouths. Heartfelt praise to heartfelt gossip in the matter of a few moments, and we're all guilty of that. Our words are the fruit that indicate what kind of tree is growing inside of our heart. And so if you want to know what somebody's really like, you just have to spend time listening to them talk, and they'll show you what's going on inside. And so at the beginning of this morning, as I talked about, I, as we think about wanting to lead a life that is consistent with what we say we believe, there's nothing more effective at revealing our inconsistencies than our, than our words and our tongues. And that's why James wrote this letter. Everything James talks about in this book is looking at the fundamental inconsistency in every single Christian this side of heaven. We have a love for God that is good and is genuine, but we also have an antagonism for him that coexists within us if we're following Jesus. And they're constantly at war with each other while we're this side of heaven. And that's what we're fighting against when we battle sin. That's what we're fighting against when we think about the words that we're using, whether indeed, whether our words. And right from the beginning in chapter 1, verse 8, James warns about us being double-minded. And so, the uncomfortable conclusion that I'm leading us towards this morning is that unchristian speech, uncontrolled, is, an evid- is evidence of an unchristian heart. And so if that's the case, then you might be wondering, so should I just not ever speak again, or should I just back off and not say things? Is saying nothing better than, than messing up and getting it wrong? No, that's not what I'm saying. In verse 2, James says, we all stumble in many ways. Any, but anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So James isn't, we're not talking about having to be perfect here this morning. I'm not, I'm not throwing that out there because that's not the gospel. But being able to exercise self-control over our words is a sign of a mature believer in Christ and is something that we should all be thinking about and working towards in our lives. But wait a minute, didn't you just say a few minutes ago that the taming our tongues is, 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 we can't do that? I did say that. But thankfully, that's not the end of the line for us this morning. And so as we, as we think about that, there's a few things I want to challenge us with to consider f- to, for us to mature in how we speak. And the first thing is we have to look at Jesus. Because that's what this, that's what this thread series is also about. How is Jesus in this passage? Because Jesus are, also knows the power of our words. And he used his words in a mighty way. In fact, he spoke the most powerful word, single word, that anyone has ever said in human history. And so before we, th- before we talk about practically what what we can do as Christians to tame our tongues, I want to look at what Jesus said. Because this final word, and so this, for this final word that we're going to look at, we're going to go back to a moment to the ending of the life of Jesus. Because before we have any real hope, as I just said, of being right with God in anything, let alone our uncontrollable tongues, we need to allow what Jesus said in that moment on the cross to be spoken over our lives this morning. Because with the utterance of one word, God changed everything for the rest of human history. And I think for a lot of us, we all need to hear that word this morning. This is something that we never graduate from. And I'm going to read from John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. And it said this, Later, knowing that everything had been fulfilled, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, and so they soaked the sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. 
So it takes three English words to unpack what Jesus said in one word. And when he said, it is finished, those three words translated from the word tetelestai. It might be words that you're familiar, you might, you might have heard that before. So six hours into being on the cross, at the very end of his life, forsaken by the Father, fulfilling everything that had been said about him in the scriptures up through, this, through the centuries up until this point, after all of that, with his last breath before dying on the cross, Jesus spoke that one final word. And that final word for him is the first word that we speak, is the first word for all of us. Because when his life ended, our life began. When he died and rose again, that has given us the, op- us the opportunity to come to life in Christ and be reunited to our Father. And in that hope lies all of our worship, all of our hope, all of our joy, our salvation, everything we've got, everything we're celebrating here this morning at church is all rooted in that last word of Jesus. Because without that word, we don't have the same song to sing. Everything that Jesus had set out to do had been completed. And so as he hung there on the cross in those final moments, Jesus spoke the most powerful word that anybody in a human body is ever going to say to you. And he said, Tetelestai, it is done, it is finished. Sin is finished. Shame is finished. and no longer has any grip over you. No more systems to get back to God. No more making ourselves good enough for God. Jesus lived without sin, and he took the penalty for our sin all in himself so that we would be free of that. And so, yes, our words are powerful. They have meaning. They are destructive. But Jesus has already said the most powerful word that anybody's ever going to say, and it trumps anything that you're ever going to say. His word is more powerful than us. And it's also more powerful than anything that's been said against us. Because as we've been talking about this morning, the words that we say externally to others this morning, I've not forgotten, we don't want to forget the fact that a lot of us here are carrying the burdens that have been spoken to us as well. We know that the power, our, our words have power towards others, but a lot of us here this morning I know are sitting under the weight of some pretty heavy words. Cancer. Divorced. You feel like a failure. Worthless. Another powerful word. There's been an accident and they died. That's, these are powerful, defining words in our lives. But the words of Jesus are greater. Tetelestai, when you look at the, the Greek form of it, is, it's the pass, perfect passive indicative tense, meaning that the progress of the action is complete and the result of that action is ongoing with full effect. So, no matter what anybody has ever said to you or over you this morning, Jesus' words have all the power. His words have all the final say. And so when we choose to believe that gospel message, we move from letting the world define us, letting those words define who we are, to I am a beloved son or daughter of the risen Jesus, and my life has value, my life has meaning. And even when those lies are loud, we can still have hope that our identity is secure in Jesus Christ. We can never graduate from that gospel message. We need it every single day. And so if you've made, never made that decision before, I want to encourage you this morning, enter in, let, let Jesus' words define you today. Let him speak that it is finished over you, that you can turn away from your sin. You don't have to be defined by shame anymore. You don't have to be good enough to come to God. Choose to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and receive that Holy Spirit and enter into a relationship with him. That's the first step. That's the words, those are the words that I want to speak over all of us this morning. And so then finally, in light of the power of Jesus' words, 
and what he's accomplished for us. Let's commit then to taming our tongues together as a body of believers. So how do we do this as I close? There's, I have a couple, a couple of thoughts for us on this to kind of be practical. So if our words, the first thing is if our words are an external indicator of our hearts, let's, st- let's start by digging into what's happening on the inside of us. Right? Our, rever- our words reveal what's going on on the inside of us. So before we just work on trying to behavior correct the external, try to spend some time and figure out why am I saying what I say? What's going on in here that would produce these external results that I'm not desiring and shouldn't be from somebody that follows Jesus? When you catch yourself this week saying something that you shouldn't, ask yourself, where did that come from? Why did I say that? Are you trying to make yourself look better? Are you afraid that you won't fit in if you don't participate in toxic language or, or gossiping stories? Are you trying to get attention on yourself? Are you, are you thinking, are you afraid that if you don't say these things that you're going to get forgotten? Think about the ways, think about what's going inside of your heart and dig down deeper, paddle upstream to see where's my sin coming from? Where is it coming from until you can't look any further and say, what hole am I trying to fill? What am I trying to do for myself in speaking this way? The second thing, as we, as we aim then to reorient our hearts and get to the root of what's going on, we should then also just practically be working on the external. Pause before you speak. Think about, is what I'm about to say helpful? Do I need to say this in this moment? Be determined to be the person who speaks life and encouragement into people. Be a positive influence on the people around you. Be, be a firm person be, when, or, to the people around you in those moments that you have to have a, maybe a difficult conversation. Strive to be honest. Strive to be encouraging. Don't participate in conversation that attacks the character of another person. Because ultimately, that's not something that we should do as Christians because ultimately we know that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short. We've all, we've all sinned. And so for us to, to question the character of somebody else I think forgets the fact that our own character can be in question too without the gospel. Nobody's perfect. Finally, keep your language clean. Because whether we like it or not, whether, whether we think, believe, what, no matter what we believe, people's ideas of who Jesus is and what he stands for is directly formed by how people who claim to follow him act. And so if you, as a person, are claiming to be a follower of Jesus and trying to share the gospel with one of your friends or coworkers' lives, but if you then act no different than the rest of the world, if you sound no different than them, if you're not encouraging, then we diminish the power of the gospel in people's lives. And I know, as I say, that, that the Holy Spirit ultimately has power over everything. But we, all, we need to make sure that our witnesses are preserved. And so when we look no different than the world, it diminishes our own witness to the, sake of, to the power of what Jesus has done. Because deep down, everybody on this planet, we all long to be a part of a community of people that uses words well and speaks life. We long for encouragement in our lives. We all need loving and grace-filled correction in our lives. We all need other believers to point us to the truth of God's word. So let's tame our tongues and show each other and the world the true power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because through him, we can do that. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can change we can be people that are consistent with what he says we believe, we, what we say we believe. And as we go here this morning, as we go out into the world, how powerful is it, would it, will it be to show the world that we are different, that we are a light, and that light points people to the way home, to Jesus Christ. So as we think about that this morning, let's let our words be what Jesus, used, Jesus uses to transform Duluth and, and Superior and the, and the rest of northern Minnesota.